0: there is a process by which sin gains control in a person's life. Saul kept opening the door of his life to sin until eventually sin got a kind of chokehold, a a stranglehold, if you like, in his life. And I want you to see from the Bible today how that happened.
1: Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick, And Colin, it sounds as if we're in for a story with a warning today. Yes, it's the story of how what seemed
0: to be quite a small thing, a little bit of envy, ended up growing like a weed and gaining a destructive hold in the life of King Saul. And it's a very, very powerful story uh, for this reason. There is a particular path, a process by which what seems to be a little sin that doesn't matter terribly much gains power in a person's life. And understanding the process, I think, opens our eyes and our minds and our hearts to say, I have to resist sin early. And I, I can't just... Just allow this little bit of envy just to sit there as if it was going to do no harm. No, little sins become big sins and they end up having great power in a person's life. So understand the process by which sin gains power so that it will not gain such power in you. That's the point of the story today.
1: We see that warning in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So please, if you can, open your Bible and join us as we begin this message, Anger, Fear and a Broken Promise. Here's Pastor Colin.
0: Continuing our series in uh, the story of Saul and of David, these two kings who moved in radically different directions, Saul going in the path of rebellion. He's a great warning sign in the Bible. This is not the way. Do not walk in it. Do not be like Saul. His life is a disaster as we're following the story. And then David, who is held up as a wonderfully encouraging example to us, the Lord's anointed. He points us to Jesus Christ consistently in uh, this book, and is a marvelous example to us of grace under pressure. We got to the point in the story last week where David, in a remarkable, um, overruling providence of God, he's brought into the royal court, the shepherd is brought into the royal court without ever knocking on the door. And then something happened that shot David from uh, obscurity into remarkable public attention. And that story, of course, most Christians know very well, is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It is the story of David and Goliath. And God's hand was so on David that with a stone and with a sling, uh, he is able to fell this giant who had mocked and depressed the people of God. And we take up the story today in chapter 18, where we learn From the path that was chosen by David and by Saul, and then also just very briefly by Jonathan. First, then, I want us to think about Saul, and I've called this uh, the broad road that leads to destruction. Now, we spent some time last week on this uh, remarkable statement that there was a harmful spirit that tormented Saul. And as we come to uh, chapter 18, I want you to notice that this theme occurs again in chapter 18 and chapter 19, and then it never occurs again after that, and I want to point out the significance. When Saul rebelled against God, and we saw that beginning from chapter 15, he found himself increasingly in the company of spirits that shared his rebellion. God gave Saul up to the very path that he had chosen, and therefore he found himself in that company. And this harmful spirit occurs again in chapter 18 and verse 10, and then also uh, chapter 19 and verse 9, and then we never hear of this again. And there is a Dutch writer by the name of de Graaf who makes a very fascinating, I think insightful comment on this. He says, during this period, Saul was possessed by the evil spirit only occasionally. Later, we do not read about the evil spirit anymore. The reason is that Saul's situation had become worse, not better. By that time, he had consciously surrendered to the evil spirit of hatred. Therefore, it was no longer necessary for the evil spirit to attack him violently from time to time. Now I take time over that because I want us to see today that there is a process by which sin gains control in a person's life. Saul kept opening the door of his life to sin until eventually sin got a kind of chokehold, a a stranglehold, if you like, in his life. And I want you to see from the Bible today how that happened how it still happens in human lives today. We need to know how sin gains power in a person's life so that we may know how we can raise our defenses against it. Now, I want you to see this fourfold pattern. It's very clear in the scripture that's before us. Sin begins with an impulse of the heart. And you see that arising out of the song in chapter 18 and verse 7. Uh, After David has come back from this great triumph in which he's defeated Goliath, we read there that the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And here's the song Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, it has to be said that this rather gory song, (laughs) claiming all of these lives, was not particularly helpful. How much better it would have been if these women, like some from an earlier generation, had chosen to give glory to God rather than to David for this victory over Goliath. In fact, it is rather helpful to compare this with another occasion when we hear about women celebrating a great victory, and that is after an even greater miracle, which was the crossing of the Red Sea. And in Exodus in chapter 15, you may recall there, we're told about Miriam who took a tambourine and began leading the women of Israel in praises, but they did not sing a great song after the Red Sea that said, glory, hallelujah to Moses. What they did was they sang a song that said, give praise to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. So uh, here's a great contrast. After the Red Sea, here are women who are rejoicing and are worshiping God, and they're giving praise to him for the miracle of what he has done. But after the slaying of Goliath, we have women who do not have the same level of faith or of discernment, and what they're doing is they're giving praise to the personality God used the particular person of David. And then they compare him as over against Saul. And they say, well, now Saul, he's slain thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Where is God in that? How is God glorified by what these folks are singing? These folks should have said, look what God has done in delivering us from Goliath. But they don't do that. They say, look at what David did. And of course, now we see that David is even better than Saul. And that very unwise and ungodly kind of talk caused all kinds of trouble. And I just want to remind you, it is in our casual conversation. It's in the way that we speak with friends. It's in the way that we speak over breakfast or over lunch. That we betray how we really think. And these folks, it seems, really thought that it was David who did it. As if he had the power of being the victor within himself. Uh, We're going to be winners because we got David and hey, we got Saul as well. We got the winning team. And they're betraying in the very way that they speak about their leaders. That they have misplaced their confidence. And that they do not give glory to God and that they are not trusting in him at all. Folks, when Christians get focused on the people God uses, it is a sure sign that they have taken their eyes off the Lord. And you remember, that's what happened in the church at Corinth. You remember how people increasingly said, well, I really like the ministry of Paul. And then others said, well, I'm of Apollos. And others said, well, I'm of of Peter and so forth. And you remember how Paul responded to that? He said, now, what are any of us? What what is Paul? What is Apollos? What is Peter? We're only servants. And we're only serving the church for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Paul can plant, and Apollos can water, but it is only God who can make things grow. Well, now, I want you to see that this faithless kind of talk that came from among these particular women on this occasion became a snare to Saul. Because verse 8, Saul hears what's being said in these conversations, and he becomes very angry. He becomes displeased. And I don't suppose that the women thought that they were setting a snare or a temptation for Saul or indeed creating a difficulty for David by the way in which they were talking, but they were. And their song provoked this jealous impulse in Saul's heart. And instead of recognizing that it was a sin and Saul coming before the Lord and just confessing it, what he did was he took it into his heart. He pondered it. It stayed there and remained. So here's this impulse that comes to his heart. How does sin get a grip in a person's life? It begins there. Here's the second stage. It's all about a habit of mind. Do you see verse 9? From that moment on, we find that Saul eyed David from that day on. You can picture that, can't you? He eyed David, he's watching David. What's David doing? What are people saying about David? What's David involved in now? And you understand the problem here. As long as Saul's eyes are on David, Saul's eyes cannot possibly be on the Lord. Now, folks, what we have here, very simply, is an example of professional jealousy. That's what it is. Remember, kings went to war and led their armies into battle. That was part of their job. That was part of their calling. Leading an army into battle was something that Saul was particularly good at. He had indeed struck down his thousands. He was known for it. He'd been praised many times by the women for it. But now David comes along and David is even better. And the talent that David has now outshines the achievements of Saul. Friends, whatever the sphere of life or influence to which you've given yourself, whatever your particular talents, there will be people who are better than you at it who will come along. And you need to know how to deal with that. And their talents, they will be your temptation. If you're good at sports... Your temptation is going to come from the guy who threatens to take your place in the team, and you're going to be eyeing him, and it's going to begin to trouble you. You can multiply examples into the world of music, into the world of business, into the world of academia, into the world of awards, into the world of promotions, into the world of ministry, into all the worlds in which there are different kinds of recognition for particular achievements. And it's very easy when you've been given a particular talent to say, now why is that with with them and not with me? You're a stay-at-home mum, and others are, are recognized and are asked to be counselors and mentors, and you say, now why them and not me? And it immediately becomes a source of difficulty and of temptation to you. When someone is praised, In an area in which God has gifted you, you will be tempted. Why him? Why her? And not me.
1: You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the story of Saul and the broad road that leads to destruction in our message, Anger, Fear and a Broken Promise. And we'll get right back to the message shortly. I hope you'll stay with us for the next part. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always catch up or go back and listen again by going to our website, that's openthebible.org.uk. There you can download an MP3 for free, or you can stream online. Also on the website, you can find Open the Bible Daily, a series of short reflections written by Colin Smith and read by Sue McLeish. We're in the first book of Samuel, chapter 18, so let's get back to the message now. Here's Pastor Colin.
0: When someone is praised in an area in which God has gifted you, you will be tempted. Why him? Why her? And not me. And so expect this. We're wanting to be on our defenses because Satan's strategies are revealed to us in Scripture. The enemy of your soul will draw your attention to a person in your field of endeavor who has greater gifts, who has had greater opportunity, who has a greater blessing than you have had. And that is precisely what happens as Saul is tempted and he falls for it. Hook line and sinker. An impulse of the heart, but then a settled habit of the mind, watching. Who's doing better than me? And that then develops into a pattern of behavior. Notice that in verse 11. And uh, what a terrible behavior this is too. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now, notice there is a pattern here. A temptation has come into Saul's heart through this tactless and this faithless song. But instead of recognizing that what was coming into his heart was sin and then coming and bringing it before the Lord, Saul embraces it. He eyes David and sin's building its power in his soul over time. The stranglehold's becoming tighter and the grip of sin is becoming stronger. His hurt feelings have hardened into jealousy. And then jealousy is beginning to harden into a hatred. This is how Satan works in a human soul. And eventually there comes a point when on a moment of impulse, Saul does something that a few months before would have been utterly unimaginable even to him. He's sort of fingering his spear that he holds in the palm of his hand as it's there beside him. And then in a moment that he hardly understood himself, he flings a spear at someone he once professed to love. And you say, how could he have done such a thing? And the answer is this thing has been building its power within his soul for a long time, ever since he first had the thoughts that came to his heart. When he heard the women sing that song. That sin that he's welcomed into his heart has now built such a position in his soul. That he no longer has the power or even the desire to deal with it. And it's a pattern. That's why it's very significant the Bible says he did this twice because this is now becoming a pattern of behavior. And you will notice that the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, as we go through it, you just find Saul in ever more bizarre attempts is trying to get rid of David. And he's always trying and he's never succeeding. And that leads me to the fourth thing here. There is the cycle of frustration. Verse 29, Saul was David's enemy continually. And uh, as you read through the story, we're going to follow most of it over these next weeks. But if you want to read ahead, you'll find it's almost comical if it were not so sad, because uh, the point of the story is that Saul is always coming up with new ways to try and get rid of David. And every time he comes up with a new way of trying to get rid of David, he always fails. Nothing he ever does ever works. And you see it beginning here, verse 11, he throws the spear, but twice David evades him. Verse 21, he then gives his daughter Michal to David to be his wife, because he says there, she'll be a snare, I can get to him through her. But what happens is that Michal actually loves David and ends up being the means of delivering him from her father's anger. Verse 25, Saul decides, well, I'll send him to the Philistines. I mean, it's just the law of averages. If I keep sending him out to battle, one of the Philistines will get him eventually. So he keeps sending him out. And every time David comes back with more glory and more triumphs and more praise from the women. I mean, it's terribly frustrating for Saul. Eventually, in chapter 19, he sits down with his own son, Jonathan, who surely more than anyone else is going to have reason to want to be rid of David. He's the king's son. But unbeknown to Saul, Jonathan has come to have a deep love and indeed a deep covenant with David, and therefore tells David about Saul's murderous plans. So the rest of the book just goes on and on like this. Saul is always fighting David and nothing he does ever works. And you know why? It's in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. There's the root of the problem, isn't it? The Lord was with David. And so Saul was actually fighting against God. And he finds himself in these endless cycles of frustration. Because friends, nobody who fights against God ever wins. Nobody who fights against God ever wins. And what do we learn from this? We learn this, that the best time to deal with any sin and temptation is early. There is never a better time to deal with sin and temptation than now. And if sin has gained a hold in your life, a stronghold in your life, if you say, well now you've described exactly me, I'm in these cycles of frustration, I've, I've lost the will, I've lost the desire, I don't know how to get out of this A power that sin now has over me. It's got me in a stranglehold. Friend, the root problem is not your compulsive behavior. The root of your problem is your continued rebellion against God. That's what we learn from the story of Saul here today. And that is the fight that has to end. You can't defeat this thing from the position of Saul because God has left him. You've got to come to the position of David and to ask that by his mercy, for the sake of Jesus Christ, he'll come and graciously that he will be with you.
1: You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a reminder that the best time to deal with sin is early. Our message is called Anger, Fear and a Broken Promise, and we're going to pause it right here and continue next time, so I hope you'll be able to join us. And if you ever miss one of our broadcasts, you can catch up or go back and listen again by going to our website, that's openthebible.org.uk. You can download the message as an MP3, completely free, or you can stream the messages online. There are a number of materials on our website which will help you with your daily Bible study and for small discussion groups. So I hope you'll take the time to explore the website openthebible.org.uk At Open the Bible, we're able to keep this programme on the station because our listeners support us financially. If that's something you feel able to do, we'd really appreciate a regular donation. And to say thank you, if you can set up a regular monthly donation of £5 or more, we would love to send you a copy of Nancy DeMoss Walgemuth and Robert Walgemuth's book You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. And Colin, why should people read this book? Oh, two reasons. Uh, The first is the people who've
0: written it. Nancy DeMoss-Walgamuth is a wonderful Bible teacher. Her husband, uh, Robert, a wonderful writer. They've collaborated together. You want to read the writings of people who walk closely with the Lord. And Robert and Nancy are marvelous examples of that. But then the second reason would be the focus of this book. It's all about how God writes your story and how you can trust God to write your story, especially in times where you feel, you know, what is actually happening in my life and what is it that God is doing? At one point in the book, Steve, Robert and Nancy give us 10 principles that help us to see how God is at work in the story of our lives. I haven't got time to give all 10, but here's a sample. God works in unexpected, unexplainable ways to accomplish his purpose. Then here's another one. What we see now is not the whole story. Another one. We can trust God to write the story of those we love. That's a really helpful encouragement. And here's another. The challenges we face now may be a part of God writing someone else's story. That's a really helpful insight. And wrapping it up, you can trust God to write your story. God is always writing a redemptive story in the lives of each of his children. And this book wonderfully explains how it's a joy to read and it will be a blessing and a help to all who read it.
1: For Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is supported on this station by our listeners. The great enigma of walking with God is that there will be painful trials, but in them you will be blessed. Find out why next time on Open the Bible.